0: Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, let's jump in. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul is talking to his protege, Timothy, and he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So two weeks ago, we talked about how it's difficult for the church to fight fire with fire because we've allowed our fire to go out. But the truth is, without the fire of God burning in our lives, everything becomes more difficult. We want to engage culture. Right? We want to reach people who are outside of the faith. We want to be a better husband or a wife. We want to be a better father or mother. We want to be a better fill-in-the-blank. But everything is noticeably more difficult without the fire of God. I'm not going to recap the whole message, but if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back, listen on the podcast, or catch it on YouTube. Now, toward the end of the message, I read this quote from D.L. Moody that hit home with a lot of people, including myself. And I've been chewing on it for two weeks. It's been a part of my prayer time, even this morning. He said this quote, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts but if we are full of pride and conceit, ambition and self-seeking, pleasure and the world, there will be no room for the spirit of God. I also believe that many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is full already with something else. So before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the spirit will come. We're going to talk about this later in this series, but the fire of God is a consuming agent. And when we ask for the fire, what we're really asking for is that the Holy Spirit would burn out or consume everything that's not of God. Have you lost your fire? Have you lost your zeal? Have we lost our passion for the things of God? Have we become so selfish and full of our own desires that we've neglected to even ask if the things that we're pursuing are part of God's will for our lives? We have to have the humility to face the possibility that we might be on the wrong path. Maybe the way we're doing church and living our lives isn't the way that Jesus intended for us to do it. We have to have the courage to face the scoreboard. We have any competitive people in the room. A few sports fans. Look, nobody likes to lose. But we've all been around those annoying sports fans that will just not let it go no matter how bad their team is losing. And then after they lose, it's always somebody else's fault. Oh, well, our starting running back was injured. Oh, the receiver was out. They must have paid the refs. This is the worst officiated game I've ever seen. And if you're a Gator fan, you probably feel attacked right now. But if you didn't act like that, I'm kidding. Look, we've all been there, right? Your team is down three touchdowns, but you're on the goal line about to score and cut it to two. There's a minute 58 left in the fourth quarter. The other team has no timeouts. You have all of yours, and you're doing math in your head. If we can force a turnover, run back a fumble for the touchdown... Then we could get the onside kick, and that'll leave us about 22 seconds. That's enough to fire two quick passes, get out of bounds, hit the end zone for the TD. Then we complete the two-point conversion. That's it. We can do this. No, you can't. No, you can't. You're going to lose. I know not everyone in the room is a sports fan, but you get the idea. There comes a moment when everyone has to face the scoreboard. We can make excuses all that we want, but excuses don't change the outcome. And the truth is, in regards to our spiritual lives, there's a whole lot more at stake than a football or basketball game. And if you're looking at your life and the fire has gone out, it's time to face the scoreboard because excuses won't change the outcome. I've been really proud of my wife the past two weeks. School is back in session. We're busy. There's a lot going on. Louis Aron always teases me that pastors only have to work two hours a week on Sunday. Well, let me tell you, just like all of you, we're balancing a lot of things and extra time is hard to find. And so a couple of weeks ago, Katie decided that she was going to hit the gym at 5 a.m. And she did. 5 a.m. comes around and she's getting up, which means everyone's getting up at 5 a.m. <laughs> I told her when your alarm goes off, you have eight minutes to go to get up, because if the snooze goes off at in the nine minute mark, I'm throwing your phone at the front door. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But if you've been around a long time, you know I am prone to throw things out the front door. <laughs> Essentially what she said was no more excuses. The excuse of there's not enough time in the day wasn't changing the outcome for her. And so she made a decision. I'm gonna do what it takes. If you've lost your fire, excuses will not bring it back. We're all busy. We all have jobs and things to do. We all, have, I, I, we all have obligations and kids and soccer and baseball and cheerleading and gymnastics and parent-teacher meetings. But if we're going to reignite our fire, we must be honest with ourselves. Stop pretending that the fire is burning bright when you know it's not. Psalm chapter 119, verse 29 says this. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Keep me from lying to myself. And this is where many of us live our lives. Many of us are lying to ourselves. And I can tell you from experience that without honesty, there can be no breakthrough. And there will surely be no fire. Let's look at a situation where Jesus uh, faced some falsehood. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12, we read this. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went out to find, find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now, when I was a kid, I thought this was the weirdest passage. I always wondered, why would Jesus curse the fig tree for not having figs if it wasn't even the season for figs to begin with? I felt bad for the tree. What did the tree ever do to you? Right? So I always thought to myself, why was he so mad? And so I'd read it again, trying to understand. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Now, the Greek word for hungry in this verse actually means hangry. (laughs) I'm kidding, obviously. But that's how kids think. Now, look, according to one expert at rennieorchards.com, It says this, fig trees will begin to develop fruits even before the leaves have emerged. And by the time the leaves grow, the fruits will already be developing nicely. And so when Jesus saw the leaves of the fig tree, even though it wasn't the season for figs, the tree was advertising. He assumed there are leaves, there must also be figs, but there wasn't. And I think that this is where we find ourselves sometimes in our lives. We're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with others. And we put on a mask and pretend that everything is okay. And so from a distance, we look good. We're like a fig tree. Sure, we might have beautiful leaves, but underneath there's no fruit. Let me say it another way. Sure, we look good on the outside or we talk a big game, but inside there's no fire. And I know we talk a lot about honesty and being real around here. Because authenticity is one of our core values. And it's not just a cool buzzword. Authenticity is of utmost importance. It's not enough to just come to church. It's not enough to serve. It's not enough to tithe or give to the building program or to give to foster care and all the things that we do. It's not enough to do good deeds. The truth is nothing we do will ever be enough. Jesus is not only interested in our leaves, he's interested in our fruit. He's not just interested in our deeds. He's interested in our heart. And when he has our whole heart, the fire will return. But we fool ourselves into believing that he has our whole heart. We fool ourselves and we certainly fool others by all of the things that we do. All the while, Jesus is inviting us to return to the vine. You can see John 15 for a reference for that. The fig tree looked good from a distance. But when Jesus got close, he knew. And this is exactly why many of you won't allow people to get close to you. We don't want people to get close enough to us to see that there's no fruit in our lives. I'd rather keep you at a distance than be authentic. And part of the reason we act like this comes from ungodly beliefs. And I know we talk about this a lot as well, but this is so important. And for those that are new, let me just give you a quick definition. Ungodly beliefs... It's 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 recurring language that we use to describe negative, destructive thought patterns. And here's the definition. Our ungodly beliefs are anything that you believe, which is not in agreement with God's word, his nature or his character. And we carry around with us these ungodly beliefs that say, if you knew the real me, you'd reject me. If you knew what I was really like, then you wouldn't be my friend. For years, I hid behind my abilities and gifts. People would watch from a distance and say, oh, he sings this way or he can play this instrument or that instrument. Or when he leads worship, I feel da-da-da. I see angels. and I, I mean, I've heard all of the things. Listen, that's not fruit. That's leaves. I was a fig tree with a lot of leaves but no fruit. And I wouldn't let anyone get close enough to see beyond the leaves. The Apostle Paul already told us what fruit is and what it looks like. Joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you know where that comes from? Fruit only comes by staying connected to the vine. It only comes by staying connected to Jesus. You show me someone who's bearing good fruit, I'll show you someone whose flame is also burning bright. Now, in between this fig tree incident in the morning and the end of the day, We find Jesus making a whip, flipping over tables and driving people and animals out of the temple. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught, it says, not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. John chapter 2, 15 and 16 is even more district, more descriptive. And so he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Can you imagine being one of the disciples that day? First Jesus curses a fig tree, then he makes a whip out of cords. and They were probably watching him wondering, what's he doing? And then he starts flipping tables over. Money and coins are going everywhere. Bird cages are breaking and birds are flying all over the place. He's cracking the whip and he's driving cattle and sheep and livestock out and people out. And the disciples are notorious for asking, right, what seems to be the dumbest question. Someone in the group has got to be like, no, not today, Peter, don't say it. (laughs) Now, on some levels, the fig tree and the incident at the temple seem unrelated, but there's an underlying theme of deception, Because there's a fig tree that doesn't have figs, but it has leaves. And in the temple, there are money changers who were ripping people off. And because Jewish law required a temple tax, Jews and visitors from other nations would come to pay their taxes when they offered their sacrifices. But foreign coins with the likeness of pagan emperors would not be accepted in God's temple. And so money changers exchanged those foreign coins for Jewish money, but they did so at a huge profit. So rather than provide the service as a business in another part of town, they exploited the religious zeal of the visitors to Jerusalem and did their business on temple grounds. And because they determined their own exchange rate, money changers easily took advantage of the poor and the foreigners that were pouring into Jerusalem, especially for Passover. And so they sold sacrificial animals. They overcharged people who didn't bring their own animals. Others were in charge of examining and inspecting the animals that were to be sacrificed. And it was very simple to declare that this animal is unapproved and then force them to buy another animal at an inflated price. There's a lot of dishonesty happening here. And then he says in verse 16 of John 2, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. See, we often see in Scripture that the dove is a representation of the Holy Spirit. Now, contextually, these people were selling actual birds. They were selling literal pigeons and doves. And I'm not trying to make this say something that it doesn't say. But there is also, it's also, prophetically speaking, of a day when people would prostitute the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot be bought and is not for sale. And part of the problem with our fire as individuals is that churches have become like the money changers. We've become so good at the production that we don't really need the Holy Spirit. So on the outside, everything looks fantastic. But our parishioners have begun to confuse ambiance for his presence. Just because a song or a message moves us emotionally doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. Because you can get just as many chills at a Celine Dion concert. The dove was never meant to be caged. It was never meant to be sold. With productions and sound systems and processes taking center stage and the dove of the Holy Spirit being placed in the cage, there can be no fire in our services. And if there's no fire in the church, there will be no fire in those who have submitted to the authority of that church. As Pastor Tommy Tenney once put it, our churches are like bakeries with no bread. Now, everything that's happening in this passage is a paradox. Including the first part of the chapter, which we didn't read or talk about, when Jesus rode into the city on a donkey, the people were spreading their coats on the ground and waving palm branches, shouting "Hosanna" to the King, only to turn around and shout "Crucify Him" a short time later. Now, a paradox is a Greek word made up of the prefix "para," which means beyond or outside of, and the verb "tokein," which means to think. And so the Greeks combined these words to create an adjective that means contrary to expectation. The fig tree performed contrary to expectation. Jesus expected there to be fruit, but there were only leaves. The money changers in the temple, people approached them, expected to be treated fairly. Instead, they were ripped off and taken advantage of. From a distance, on the outside, everything looks fine. But upon closer review, you find something that looks one way, but in all actuality is something completely different. And again, I wonder how many of our lives are just like the fig tree or just like these money changers. Our lives are a paradox. We look fine on the outside, but on the inside, there's something completely different. We might check all the boxes. We've said the prayer, inviting Jesus into our life. We lift our hands and we sing the songs and we give up our time and our resources and we help and we serve others. But these are just leaves on the fig tree. And without fruit underneath, we're just deceiving ourselves and others. Amen. In order to truly fan the flame, we must be honest with ourselves and we must be honest with God. There is no fake it till you make it. And the truth is, the longer you fake it, the longer it will take to make it. Until we're willing to name the struggle, the struggle will remain in power over us. Going back to an earlier point, we've got to have the courage to face the scoreboard. We need to have the humility to face the possibility that we might be on the wrong path. In his book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, Pastor Rich Valota says this regarding humility. Humility is not just doing a lowly task. It's a life committed to the hard task of lowering one's defenses. The path to fire begins with authenticity. And the path to authenticity is paved with Humility. If we can't humble ourselves enough to be real with ourselves and real with God and real with others, then we will never fan the flame. I don't want my life to be a paradox that looks one way on the outside, but on the inside is something completely different. Each of us has what many writers call the false self. Richard Rohr describes it this way. He says, quote, the agenda of the false self is to look good, to pretend. To pretend. And you can tell when the false self takes over because you become easily offended. The false self is offended because it's fragile. The true self, on the other hand, is unoffendable. I love that line. The agenda of the false self is to look good, to pretend. If this doesn't describe our culture, I don't know what does. But I know this. We cannot fan the flame or simultaneously be living a lie. I'm not talking about being a hypocrite, I'm not saying you've lost your salvation if you don't have a blazing hot burning fire in your soul. But I am saying that the flame will never burn bright without authenticity. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a fig tree with no figs. I don't want to be a money changer in the temple with a dove in a cage ripping people off. I don't want to stuff the Holy Spirit in a cage in the back of the room and then come to this platform and pretend that God is here. I don't want to hide behind the things I do and pretend that's the fire of God. I don't want everyday church to be a polished and professional and look good on the outside, but not producing any real life change. I don't want to be a Christian with no joy. I don't want to be a Christian with no peace. I don't want to be a Christian with no love. I don't want to be a Christian with no fire. In the letter that Paul wrote to believers in Rome, we find these words, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I'm going to close with this. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The word fervor is translated from the Greek word zeo, and it means to boil with heat. It's time to end the paradox. It's time to be honest with ourselves and with God. It's time to rekindle our spiritual fervor. It's time to fan the flame. And it starts with authenticity. It starts with the courage to face the scoreboard. And only you can do that. The people in your life that are closest to you can look at you and go, ah, your leaves are showing, but your fruit's struggling. But for the most part, we're good covering our blemishes with our leaves. That's, that goes all the way back to the beginning doesn't it? Adam and Eve they sinned and the first thing they did was take leaves and cover themselves because they were ashamed. There wasn't enough honesty to move through that moment. I don't want my life to be that way. You have to be introspective and self-reflective and look at your life and go, okay, where's the fire? Where has the fire gone out? And what do I need to do? And going back to that D.L. Moody quote, and this has been my prayer for the last two weeks. I was praying it again this morning. I feel like God's been waking me up really early or Katie because she's getting up at five. I don't know. But I've been trying to redeem that time by prayer. So this morning, I was so tired. My alarm was set for 7.05. I tried to get here by 7.45. I woke up, and the boys called it dark morning. It's dark morning. So I woke up, and it was pitch black, and I thought to myself, I don't want to get up and pray. And this is what I said. I said, God, if it's 5.30 or later, I'll get up. And I rolled over, and I grabbed my phone. I was so annoyed. I clicked it to see what was on and it was 5.30 exactly. I took a screenshot of it. I'm not even making that up. I showed Katie this morning, 5.30 a.m., Sunday, August 20th. I was like... "Mm." Eventually, I got up and went into my office slash garage. I laid down on the floor and I just said, God... Help me to empty myself. Help me to be honest with myself and with you. I mean, how many of us have grown up saying, oh God, fill me, oh God. We sing songs about, fill me up, God, fill me up, God, fill me up. But what a simple concept. There could be no filling without an emptying. And so my heart right now is let the fire of God do the burning and the emptying. I want to be empty of everything that's not of him so that he can fill me. And that only comes through authenticity. I can't make that decision for you. Only you can do that. Only you can do it. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads just for a moment. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your presence that's been tangibly in the room, touching people's lives. God, even seeing multiple people throughout the building just kneeling and in a a posture of just giving everything to you. God, may we all have that posture in our hearts of surrendering it all, being honest with ourselves and emptying ourselves of everything that's not of you. May the fire of God burn, God, not as an excitement element, but as an element to burn up everything that's not of you. God, help every person under the sound of my voice, whether in the room or watching online or listening to the podcast, to welcome the fire to burn up everything that's not of you. God, give us the courage to face the scoreboard. In Jesus' name, amen. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.